0: come in here, we give championship effort. No matter how we feel. Never again will we be outworked. Never again will anybody be stronger than us. Never again will we have any excuse. Get your mind right, calculate an attitude, and get to work.
1: I think I did it
0: again. Oh, boy. Oh, this is going to be danger. And it's Ryan Carter. Pick six. Sprint oh, right, play in pursuit. To the end zone. Touchdown, Hunter Renfro. Ryan
1: quickly to Renfro as he utilizes
0: the block from the crowd down all the way back at the 44 as is looking to take it all the way. Oh baby, baby. I it again. I made it your heart. Got in the game. Oh baby,
1: baby. Welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. South Carolina fans were waving their white flags early on Saturday night, but unlike their team, decided to throw in their water bottles instead of their towels. Speaking of those water bottles... The South Carolina student section had more success hitting open receivers than Jake Bentley. South Carolina's new motto is never again until next year. Clemson is 11-1, number one, and on their way to the ACC championship, and life is good. Hey folks, Ben and Cody here with you today to recap uh, the Clemson Tigers' utter dismantling of the South Carolina Gamecocks in the annual Palmetto Bowl. So, we've got that among other things. We'll also be talking about upsets, blowouts, water bottles, and Dabo cursing on national television. Cody, all of those making for a great weekend of college football. You enjoy it?
2: It was a great weekend. Absolutely. The ACC was dominant, and I'm happy about that.
1: Yeah, you know, all across the board, you know, Louisville has a big win over Kentucky, Um, Clemson looking really good over South Carolina. But just all the, you know, what we saw with Auburn over Alabama, a lot of people predicted. I think the stat was that Nick Saban was 0 6 going into that game uh, against Auburn teams that had nine wins or more. And Auburn went in there, and they could be playing some of the best football out of any team in the country right now. They beat two number one teams in back to back week. So uh, that'll be something to look out for, uh, you know, heading into this playoff if Clemson is able to win against Miami next week. Aside from that, Dabo got his 100th win of his career, so that was pretty awesome to see that come against South Carolina, um, especially after um, all the heartache that Steve Spurrier and that team gave him early on in his career. Um, Clemson's now beat four ranked teams on the road this year. That goes a lot uh, towards uh, their playoff ranking. We fully expect them to be number one when the rankings come out on Tuesday. Um, But beating your rival, Cody. you know A lot of people coming into this game, uh, especially South Carolina players and fans, they're, you know their motto after last year was never again and they really thought they had a chance in this game um, Todd Ellis one of their radio commentators former Carolina quarterback uh, prior to that game saying that you know Clemson and Davo were absolutely mortified of uh, will Muschamp champ and what he was doing at South Carolina turns out not to be the case. Well, if, they're, if
2: they were mortified, if they were scared at all, it would have been just because really Clemson had everything to lose and South Carolina had virtually nothing to lose. It was already a, an eight-win season, well exceeded everyone's expectations down there. So maybe they're not scared. Uh, maybe they weren't scared, but there's a reason that they could have gone in a little bit more, you know, not feeling like as enthusiastic and, and obviously playing on the road, uh, but Once game time started, there was no, there was no like feelings of shakiness. Obviously, Clemson was very cool. You mentioned they've had, this was their fourth road win against a ranked team. It looks, I mean, I can't believe with Kelly Bryant, we'll talk about him a little bit, just how comfortable they look in these big game settings. And for once, I feel like they, they really put the pedal gas pedal down. We got up two scores and they didn't let up and not until uh, it was 34 to nothing at
1: least. Right. And you know, much like the Citadel game, I don't think a lot of things were revealed on the field, uh, just because of how dominant Clemson was on defense and just did what they had to do. Uh, obviously, to, to win on offense, no big mistakes, at least you know no turnovers until they were up 34 to nothing. Uh, but I think the first big takeaway is the poise of this team. And this is a very young team, but the, the amazing poise that this team has had all year, going into these big game situations on the road. But to go into this matchup, a rivalry game, in a very hostile environment, uh, an environment where they're getting stuff thrown at them uh, from the stands, and to never lose focus, and to kind of look past some of the chippiness that was coming, the chirpiness that was coming from South Carolina players, late hits, uh, you know, coming all game long, and to really never react. You know, they only had two penalties on the day, um, and South Carolina was the one that was getting all the likes outside of Dabo's. Um, on the sideline, we can talk about that in a little bit, but I, I just think the sheer poise that this team has in the leadership, um, it speaks volumes, especially for such a young team.
2: Right, and you know, hot take here, and it might not sit well with some of the South Carolina, or I'm sorry, the Clemson fan base, but I don't think the players care as much. I think they care a lot, and they, and I like how they treat this as a championship game, but I don't think they care as much as re- residents in the state of South Carolina care. And What I mean is, I think we've gotten to the point where we've recruited a lot of out-of-state guys who who. Came to Clemson. They didn't come to play in the Palmetto Bowl. They came to play in playoffs, ACC championship games. So and 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 now you have two years worth of uh, championship runs, ACC championship semifinal, final. I just don't think the game strikes them um, as you know maybe the same level of importance as it did ten years ago. That's not to say that they don't treat it with a lot of importance. It's just that maybe that's some of the reason they
1: don't like they don't let the energy or the uh, I'm sorry the emotion of the game get to them the way that it did South Carolina. Well and. I think maybe it's not just that. I mean, I do understand your point about getting out-of-state kids, but there was a story about uh, Cleveland Farrell, I think, from David Hood. Um, it was either David or Nikki Hood over there on Tiger Net. About he learned about the rivalry of one of his visits uh, to South Carolina, I believe, in a, an instance in a Waffle House um, with a very hostile South Carolina fan, and that gave him an idea of what this rivalry was like and why he wanted to go to Clemson. I think it's more about Dabo and his recruiting and the kinds of of players that he gets on his football team and how much they in turn trust in him as a leader and listen to him. Listen, when Dabo's preaching and telling these guys that uh, it's going to be a hostile environment, the opposing players are going to try to get under your skin and, you know, get some bad penalties on you. Do not react. And Clemson's players did a very, very good job not reacting in this game.
2: No, absolutely. And it's, it's that sort of thing when you don't flinch, like Kelly Bryant's over there, you know, they're they're all chippy. Um, on, when he's at their sideline, I think they're probably throwing some blows. God knows what they're saying to him. Um, but he just doesn't seem to care. He's like, no, I'm here to play football. And, I mean, there's there's something to be said for that. Another one, I think Jake Bentley, like, threw an offhand arm. Uh, like, almost like a punch. I don't care. I know it wasn't going to hurt anyone, but you still shouldn't be flinging your arms around after the play. And I think that was directed towards Klee. And, you know, he didn't flinch. He just went back. He's like, hey, I'm going to get you on the next play anyway. So... But you know, there is something to be said for that. They don't care. They know that hey, one one mistake could lead to a brawl, what could lead to a postseason ban or something like. Yeah, you know, and that? and the stakes are open.
1: different than they were back in uh, 2004 uh, during the infamous brawl when both teams uh, turned down uh, postseason uh, invites because you know they, they were going to go to bowl games that they were going to lose anyways. So why? Uh, you know, why do that? That was an easy decision for them to make. But this time, Clemson has a lot to play for. You know, they're going to the college football playoff. And let's be honest, South Carolina has a lot to play for. They're going to go to a decent bowl game. They've had an eight-win year. Um, But that just tells you the difference in the coaching style um, uh, between these teams. You know, Dabo and his attitude and the way he approaches the game. And then Will Muschamp, uh, you can kind of tell uh, the way he coaches through the actions of his players. And I'm not going to b- uh, blame the fan base on him, but you put all those things together and it's a perfect storm for just a, a very classless environment. Yeah,
2: I mean, you know, I, I don't take too much from his, post, uh, his post-game his presser, but he just has a lot of, there's not a lot of grace to Will Champ. He strikes me as a guy, he might not be a bad guy, I'm sure he's not, um, but he seems really motivated to win and he puts winning above all else. That, that's the impression I get. So it's not to say that, He's he's saying let's let's be classless, and I don't think the majority. I, I think a lot of the guys they're recruiting are guys that we recruited. I think there's um, they're they're bringing a new wave of high character guys. At least you know what what they deem to be high character guys. And then I don't I don't think it's I think that's a kind of an isolated incident. We get a few, not just fans, students throwing water bottles. I, you know, I put if it's an adult, if it's grown ass men that are throwing water bottles, and that's to me that's a little bit different than drunk, eighteen to twenty two year old kids. I, and I'm not, I mean. Yeah, they're older enough, they should know better. But to me, it's I don't I don't like pass, you know, I don't say that's the whole fan base well, that's but acting it's, in that manner. It's
1: very endemic of this, of the culture of this program in history. This is not an isolated incident. This isn't the first time uh, we have uh, a video and images of South Carolina fans uh, throwing up the one finger salute um, at one of our players when they score or throwing stuff on the field. Um, And I know every fan base has their bad apple. Clemson has bad apples as well. But South Carolina seems to have them more than a lot of other teams. I mean, they're first in college football in fan ejections um, at at Willie Bryce. And I think you'd have to look no further than how opposing teams and fan bases feel about them. Alex Kraft over at STS, he went to the game. And it was good to hear his firsthand experience. And he somewhat defended uh, the South Carolina fan base saying that it's not all of them. It's it's a select few and how he's seen Clemson fans, you know, throw up the middle finger or throw stuff on the field. And I, I guarantee you that happens. I know it happens. Um, but the thing to take away there, it's not just how you perceive it. It's also what other teams fans say about them. And I've heard from Kentucky fans uh, when I was at the, Lo- the Louisville game, I've heard from other fans across the country of how, Bad, uh, badly perceived the South Carolina fan base is. So it's not just us saying that as a rival. A lot of other people feel that way too.
2: Yeah, maybe so. But I think the biggest point, like you mentioned from Alex Kraft, is that we're it's South Carolina. It's the same, and I've said this multiple times on this podcast because I used to go to South Carolina. It's the same people. It's we're, one chooses Clemson, one chooses South Carolina. So it doesn't it doesn't lend itself to a huge discrepancy in, in terms of the cultures. Yeah, there's a few bad apples. Maybe it it gets off the rails a little bit in South Carolina. I, you know. We've had guys breaking in into Death Valley to to try to steal Howard's Rock, our own Clemson fans, so, supposed fans. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't I don't go down the whole like they they're classless. I know people love to th- to go that route, and maybe maybe there's greater disdain, but you'd have to show me some actual evidence, not just a few people that you heard said, hey, you know, Kentucky doesn't like them either. Well, uh, I think I think I don't like Georgia fans. Those are some of the worst, but that's from my own subjective you know experience. Well, and we that. hear
1: that too, and we hear that from other fan bases. Listen, Georgia doesn't get a pass. Any of the other fan bases uh, don't get a pass, but. You hear from people after Clemson comes and visits them how good of experience, or or, or, sorry, when when other teams come to visit Clemson, how good of experience opposing fan bases have. People writing letters and the university president, uh, I remember Jim Barker sharing a few. I don't think you get that from South Carolina. Um, So I'll
2: take shape. I'd rather be like the you know like out of the top twenty and most beloved fan bases and be a national champion. Than be number one in the most, and like below fan base and, and not win, not be in the top 25. Just saying, that's not, to me, that's not a huge part of like, you know, it's nice to be friendly,
1: but you know, whatever. Well, I think you can have both. Um, and I'm just <laughs> glad I'm not a South Carolina fan. And you mentioned you went there. I'd like to point out that uh, I had a great experience there. Everyone was nice. My friends are
2: still classy, and I don't have any negative experiences. Not even during the five game win streak did they talk any shit. So I'm, I, was, I was happy. That's and, your friend. So I, don't, I, I haven't talked a word to them in the last four
1: years. Well, I'd like to point out that uh, you threw a bottle at me and gave me the bourbon you got here tonight, so (laughs) there's that for what that's worth. Um, all right, so that's that's all we'll do talking about uh, the fan base. You know, we don't want to harp on that too much. So let's get in and talking to this game. But before we do that, quick shout out to all our podcast listeners. We appreciate you guys listening week in and week out. We appreciate all the awesome feedback. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and we're on such podcasting apps as SoundCloud, your iTunes, uh, and then iPhone uh, iOS podcasting app. We're also on Stitcher, and then there's this other new one I think that we just recently got on. Uh, that caters to Android devices. Cody, you remember what that is? It's just through Google Play. Yeah, you go through that if you have, if
2: you're an Android user.
1: Um, and then a correction from last week. I gave a shout out to Sandy, who I just assume was Sam's mom because she gave us some love on the uh, on the podcast Facebook account. Sam is our new basketball correspondent. Um, Sandy is actually Sam's aunt. Uh, but to be fair, Sam uh, in South Carolina, aunt and mom are interchangeable in- sometimes. Uh, you know, coming from the south, I can joke about that because I'm from South Carolina. Um, So we apologize, Sandy. You're probably not listening to this anyway. And then one big shout out to Don. He's at ZJ and CS Dad on Twitter. He's clearly a Carolina fan. He was giving us crap uh, on Twitter before the game because we made some mention uh, in the last episode about who we thought on South Carolina's team could start for Clemson, and he ran off a list of about 12 people that could play in our 2D. Uh, Well, Don, I don't know what you're thinking now. I think you can clearly see that that's not the case. Um, he called us arrogant and dense, and I went out, Don. Confident and dense, two different things. Thank you,
2: and I'll say too, he's probably right that we did not do our homework. And I, you know, I've, this whole year and the last few years, I've followed Florida State closely. Why do I fo- follow Florida State closely, even though it didn't go the way they was hoping it would go this year? It's because I think they're good. I think they're going to be a top five team, or they were projected to be. So I thought that was our biggest, our most formidable foe. I don't follow South Carolina. I try to catch a game here and there, but if I'm going to watch an SEC game, it's going to be uh, Auburn, Alabama, uh, Georgia. So, no, we don't follow South Carolina that much. It's just they're not that good of a team. And there's other, they're better teams to watch. And also, I I know the players that we recruited, like Jemais Williams or Trey Smith and Byron Edwards, who, you know, came down between us and them, and they chose South Carolina. I know those guys, but I don't know they're too deep, and I don't think I need to know they're too deep. Well, it I, didn't matter too much on Saturday.
1: No, and, and I don't pay attention to teams that we've uh, beaten 90 to 16, outscored 90 to 16 over the last two years. Uh, so there's that. With that, let's get into this game. So, as we mentioned, Cody, this Clemson football team, they look poised, they looked battle tested, and unfazed. And uh, this game in uh, Columbia did nothing but uh, reassure us on that point. It was good to see this team put someone away early. You know, to get the two touchdowns on either side of the half was huge. I think. What are your initial takeaways from this game?
2: Yeah, you, you mentioned it earlier. I think the big, the big thing is just going up. Um, it wasn't easy at first. It wasn't. We were having some issues on offense, but the, for me, it was just the, the. I hate to be like we've heard a lot about this. It was it was just sticking with it and hitting on some long plays, hitting on hitting on a few big big uh, plays to really to um, T Higgins. who has a chance to be a huge part of our offense going forward. I want to see more uh, four wide receiver sets where him and Kane can be on the field at the same time. You mix in Overton, that can be a big part of our offense. I don't want to say I I trust the coaches that, that maybe they just weren't quite ready, but I do question a little bit why they haven't been in to this point in the season because that's going to be the thing that will be the difference between us being a championship team
1: and potentially losing in the first round or even to Miami is big plays. Well, and you saw it in this game. Uh, there were no deep balls to Kane, to my recollection. They were all a lot of underneath passes, passes out to the, to the side. And he's, very, he's been very good at those, um, catching those and um, setting, setting us up. You see a lot of those plays actually on the early downs, and that sets us up for a, a, a makeable third downs, uh, which this team has struggled on third and long this year because of Kelly Bryant's inability to kind of hit the deep ball. Um, But you did see T. Higgins uh, more going downfield in this game. You did see a throw to DeAndre Overton downfield that uh, uh, he got a pass interference call on. So. I think you're right. It's not just Kelly Bryant. It is about these other guys. Deion Cain has not shown the ability to, to, to fight for a ball going downfield. So the more you can mix in DeAndre Overton and a guy like T. E. Higgins comes along, I think the more capability we're going to have in the downfield passing game. And let me make a
2: clarification. You're right. Deion Cain sometimes doesn't lay out for balls. He's not great at high-pointing balls. Uh, let me make something – get something off my chest. I don't necessarily think that is him not having effort. I think it's a skill. A skill. Right. A skill that he didn't necessarily acquire in high school because he was playing quarterback. So some something is easier. What we would intuitively think coming back to a ball, um, the way Nuke used to kind of um, used to just kind of box out his his defensive back. Some of that stuff's not intuitive to Deion Kane. Um, he just doesn't have that kind of skill set yet. He may pick it up, but that that goes to show you it's it's not easy playing wide receiver at the at the college level. Um, but for him, I think he's had a great year. Like I said it before, in terms of route running, he looked good in this one. I'd like to see a little bit more yards after the catch from him. Right. But at this point, I think he's been good. But I think to your larger point, T. Higgins does offer a bit of that skill set, high point in the ball, catch radius, um, just agility, and yards after the catch too.
1: Yeah, and it's kind of unfair to Deion Kane. We expected him to step in this year and uh, replace, essentially be Mike Williams, You know, playing in that nine spot. Um, but listen, Mike Williams, like you mentioned, Kane was a quarterback in high school. Mike Williams came up being that big wide receiver in high school mentioned DeAndre Hopkins. DeAndre was a, was a basketball player. And a lot of what he did to box people out to go up and high point those balls is probably a lot of the skills that he learned playing basketball. So um, it was t- it's just been tougher for Kane. And I think eventually, I mean, he's still a great wide receiver, and I think he'll eventually develop those skills. But right now we have other guys on the team in Overton, in Higgins, that are uh, have that more in their arsenal.
2: Uh, yeah, that's, I, I agree with that. And you know, speaking of Higgins and maybe speaking a little bit of Etienne, those are two two freshmen, true freshmen. And if you would have said coming in, T. Higgins has a chance to have a, large, a huge year, I'd believe you. I think anybody would have believed that. He was very highly thought of as a recruit. But I think these two, including Etienne, now have such an important role in the offense and could be the real the difference makers down the stretch. That's that's incredible. That's incredible to think. Uh, obviously, still in T. Higgins out of uh, away from the from Tennessee and, and getting Etienne late in the process to now make a huge splash in their first year. And what I think Etienne gives in the run game makes us a lot more dynamic. And You've seen his snaps go up and up and up. Hope he's healthy. He got a little dinged up there. Uh, I think it was the beginning of the – or end of the second – first half, excuse me. So uh, we'll see how that goes. That was a huge hit.
1: <laughs> well, but he, he came back into play after that. Um, so I, I tend to think he'll be fine. Jeff Scott thinks he's going to play. We'll wait to see what Dabo has to say. But you're right. I mean, T. Higgins, we kind of expected that out of him. We thought he was going to come in and make us flash this year. Um, ETN, we did not see this coming. And when able, he's been able to provide in, in the running game and then also in the return game. You know, he had that big 39-yard return to start the second half. Clemson has struggled this year getting the ball back to start the second half and going down and scoring. Well, He set that up beautifully uh, for that another beautiful play, that long run or long pass and uh, run to uh, Hunter Rimpro.
0: Yeah,
2: he. I mean, he's terrific. If there's one flaw, and I, I this is not even this is just nitpicking, as nitpicky as it gets, it's that he could show a little bit more self preservation and not like and maybe show right. a little bit of patience uh, to avoid a few big hits. And that, that's the only thing that would scare me. But you know, at the beginning of the year, you made a prediction, Ben. You said I think this guy this guy could be a Heisman winner at Clemson. Right. And I I didn't necessarily disagree with you, but I thought that was a little premature, a little bit uh, a little crazy. But I think that's like he has that type of ability. The more I watch him, he's an NFL player. He's, he's going to have a tremendous career at Clemson, probably just two more years, but potential Heisman, may, you know, maybe as soon as next
1: year, maybe the year after. Um, I'll also like to point out that a few years ago, I said Hunter Renfro was going to be great. Um, so maybe you guys should start listening to me. So speaking of Hunter Renfro, um, we just mentioned his 69 yard catch and run. There, uh, on the first play of the second half, that was an absolute thing of beauty. You know, he got, I was, I was rewatching that play. I rewatched it several times. I think the face mask on that play actually helped spin him loose. It could have like it propelled him
2: there. Um, in most cases, guys will go to the ground. He, he comes out of it. You know, he's a lot of people don't know this about him. He's in high school. He was a quarterback. He was very elusive. I think he runs like a four or five and that's Jerry Rice speed. He's not like your scrappy white guy. Yeah, he's short. He's small. He doesn't look. If you saw him in a in a street clothes, he, he looks like a, closer to a frat boy than a than a football player. But the guy's is, is talent. He's just he's he is athlete physically
1: at 5'10", 180 pounds. The guy is
2: a, a lot of of athlete.
1: Yeah, right. I mean, he did show some really good speed on that, and I think I said it was a sixty nine yard. It was actually a sixty one yard pass. Um, that's the longest of his career. He got two touchdowns this game. Uh, just seeing him do that, and especially that little juke he he gave to that last guy at the end. At first, when I was watching it, almost looked like Hunter didn't see that guy, um, but it just ended up running past him. But he actually did a look away, gave him a little juke, uh, was just enough to freeze him and get Hunter um, all the way to the outside and ultimately to score. So uh, with that, I wonder why don't we see we see Hunter Rimfro in punt return situations. Where opposing teams are trying to drop it within the 20, you know, one where we don't really expect a return, uh, get our best hands guy out there to secure the ball. Uh, I'm interested why we haven't seen more returns in his career. I think he's only got like two. Well, there's just better options at Clemson. Right within like Raymond McLeod, is what you're yeah.
2: saying. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's certain, certain guys have certain skill sets, and R- Renfro is good, but Ray going to be he, better. He, I mean, he
1: showed me something on that one. I'm, just talking about, I'm not saying take Ray Ray out of there, I'm saying maybe cut him loose a little bit. Uh but anyways, uh great to see that. You know, they uh, his other touchdown, they ran ran the same play uh that they did to win the national championship game. South Carolina recognized it. Rimpro does a little move back to the inside. Kelly Bryant, uh, great recognition of that and throw in the run to hit him for uh for his second touchdown. Another thing of beauty.
2: Yeah, was it you, Rose? Or, or was it Tully that called let's give him something where he can roll out to his right? That was me. That was you, okay. Yeah, I'll take credit since Tully's not here. He but did it s- but it was me. Okay. He did roll, or you said they need to do something where he can roll it was right, give him the option to to run if it's not there. Well, like you said, it might have been that that pick play initially. But I said that's not good. He's actually surprisingly not good at that. He's not good at one making throws on the run or, or looking downfield. But also, he's not good at necessarily recognizing the coverage and knowing if it's a, if it's when the opportune time is to to go into the end zone. That just hasn't been something he's been good at. But what he did in that play was the exact opposite of what I told you. And he looked really good at keeping his eyes downfield, finding that little little crease there, a little uh, advantage that Renfro got to the inside, and he hit
1: him. And if if he can develop that, it could be a really dangerous part of his game, at least at the collegiate level. And he's been developing all year long. I mean, we haven't seen a lot of regression from him. He did have uh, some more accurate deep balls early on in the year, but you know there were a lot of times we weren't playing the best competition either. So, um, and. A lot of his troubles have come after he was injured. Now, speaking of that injury to the ankle, I don't know about you, but he looked a step slow to me in this game, and still he looks a little bit hesitant uh, to make contact while he's on the run.
2: Could be. I I haven't picked up on that, but one thing I've seen written about and talked about, and I do see this, is his mechanics become more flawed, and a lot of times that happens. You take more hits, especially little dingers like your ankle. Um, it really it it has like a cumulative effect, and maybe that's what you're seeing a little bit. Uh, to me, the three week, if we can get past Miami, I think that three week, three and a half week stretch is going to serve him well. Yeah, I mean, you can get back to the basics. I know that sounds like cliche, but for a quarterback like Kelly Bryant who is having trouble getting the ball down, uh, I think that's going to really help him. And, and yeah, take a week, relax, um, hyperbaric chamber, get that
1: ankle back to good health. Well, one thing that has been pretty good this year as it's been his passes over the middle, for the most part, they seem to be on target and have a pretty good trajectory. Um, I I think that's something that continues to bode well for him. Um, So we'll see if he can maintain that moving forward and make some improvements on those deep balls. Again, this this Clemson offense, they've yet to put it all together, but you can see all the pieces there, uh, the making of an offense that is more than capable, combined with this defense, of going on to win a national championship. Yeah, I think the one, the one Delta, and I, I, let me
2: nerd out for a second. Tola will be mad if I nerd out, and he's not here. But S and rankings—we always reference these. That's Bill C, SB Nation writer. He's the the stats guru. Um, he has Clemson as number ten in his S and ratings. Now, let me make something clear. This is not a—it's not a measure of his rankings who he thinks is better than the other. It's just a statistical measure of how Clemson does on offense and defense and special teams. It uh, doesn't even take into fact in, uh, into a factor wins and losses. But it, it's really good. It really tells a story. And Clemson, the reason that they're number 10 is because their offense is at number 35. And what's what's crazy about that is almost in almost every measure, they are a, a good team, if not elite team. For example, their success rate, which is measures how good you are getting the, that getting the yards you need on first down, which would be five yards. Second down, which would be seven. Or third and fourth down, which would be just the first down. They're number six in the nation. They're really good at getting the yards they need to get. Um, things like... Rushing, we're number eleven. Passing, number eleven. And then even like standard downs, which is just uh, standard downs and passing downs. You're looking at just the yardage you need. We're tenth and and forty-third. That's a little low. But the thing that really hurts is is just big plays. We're from number forty-nine among the elite teams. We're that makes us last. Um, and the and the reason big plays and what Bill Conley says is the most important measure of winning football. And which was kind of wouldn't be a surprise to me, but it's the most telling measure statistical measure of whether or not you can win football games is big playability. The reason for that is because if you have to sustain drives, uh, tw- uh, 80 yard, six, seven yards, nickel and diamond down the field on the collegiate level, you will make a mistake at some point, whether
1: that's a turnover, whether, whether that's a, a penalty or and in, that's, that's
2: us in a, in a
1: nutshell. Or that in is, Clemson's case, and I've been mentioning this for the past few episodes. Now it's not having success on first down. And when that puts you in, uh, uh, instances of second and long and third and long, and you're not having success with the long passing game, that really stymies what you can do. Now in this game, Clemson actually had a few moments uh, on a few drives where they did have, um, they did face some second and third and longs and were actually able to convert. There were some other instances where they weren't able to. So I, I think you're right. That all kind of ties together. If we're not able to hit those big plays every once in a while, at least you're looking for what, two or three a game maybe. Right. Um and ETN was giving us that early on. Uh, Feaster has shown flashes of that, but hasn't really been able to break anything lately. Um, I think we we're really close on, with Ray-Ray McLeod on some of the sweeps and end-arounds in this game. That was actually a very positive uh, part uh, to, to this game, the offensive game plan that I noticed. Uh, but I think you're right. I, I think uh, connecting on that deep ball is something they're really going to need to work on uh, in the three and a half weeks or whatever between um, the conference championship game, should we win it, and the college football playoff.
2: Agreed, and a, a good point about Ray Ray, um, those jet sweeps, and just using that, being able to use that as a as a kind of a diversion or use it in your offense, the misdirection, the eye candy, it's going to go a long way. Going to go a long way. Um, Ray Ray, you're right. He he looks good whenever whenever you can get nine or ten yards on those plays with the potential of the big play. That's and you got the guy that can do it. Like that that's got to be a central part of your offense. Not to mention, I just think, like you said, the, the time off is going to be big. Because a lot of those like downfield passes, the fades, that's timing, and that that can be worked on. You can get a little get a little confidence uh, with the reps. And he Higgins, you can see he's really coming into his own. He,
1: he's getting that confidence up. So the last thing I, I think to mention here is I, I know a lot of the fan base is probably a little bit disgruntled with the fact we keep running out uh, for running backs on a consistent basis. I will have to give props to Adam Choice and C.J. Fuller s- sticking in there this year. Choice is actually looking like he's a step quicker, like he's almost got that burst back. I think he led the team in yards per carry in this game, um, and C.J. Fuller has been solid. I mean, he hasn't been a three-yard a, a carry back, and obviously, I, I think he's our best catching back out of the backfield. So those guys have kept their head in it uh, this year, even though they were essentially demoted and put and had the two young guys Etn and Feaster put ahead of them. And their legs are fresh, and I think that shows at times, especially you saw Adam Choice running hard there at the end of the game.
2: Yeah, I, I totally agree. Adam Choice has been – he's been what seems to be slow his whole career, a lot of that uh, – maybe the ACL injury. Dude injury. Uh, well, initially when I think he came in, he put on like way too much weight, got a little, little bit too big, couldn't carry the weight. But no, I, I totally agree. Look, He does look a step faster this year, and you heard a lot of chatter about – sound, it sounded like hyperbole about we have – you know, last year we have a lot of good running backs behind Wayne Gallman. I don't really, I don't really think we did, that we had some, you know, backup options, but none that
1: were, you know, anything special. This year I really think there is a stable of good running backs. Yeah, much more uh, well-rounded in that regard. Um, okay, so that's all we got for the offense. Again, all the pieces are there. A few more things need to click, and I think this offense could really take off. Uh, you would have hoped to see that by this point in the season. But listen, they're not losing games for us at this point um and again them combined with the defense this team can really go far and speaking of the defense let's move on to them okay so the defense in this game cody i'm not sure after especially after looking at the stats and looking back on the game if it wasn't as much as what the defense did in this game as much as it was what the south carolina offense and jake bentley were unable to do uh, there was only one sack five tackles for loss in this game and this this uh, Clemson defensive line and, and linebackers have feasted on opposing quarterbacks this year, racking up the sacks. But you really didn't see a lot in this game, but you didn't have to. South Carolina was finding some set, some success running the ball up the middle early on in this game, but they seemed to abandon that once they got down 14 to nothing. Jake Bentley just couldn't hit anybody. He felt the pressure all night long, and then, so the sacks weren't necessarily there, uh, but it was enough to disrupt him in the passing game.
2: Yeah, I think that's what it was. Uh, just because the numbers aren't don't show doesn't mean that it didn't have an effect. And he even said as much in his press game conference. He says you got a front four like that. It you know it makes you think about it. And I, I think it did. It led to that that first pick six. And I, he just he looks shaky. He's actually a, a good quarterback. I mean, he's a solid quarterback. And in both both years we played him, I think we've been able to get into his head. And you know the threat of Cleveland Farrell and and the, those other guys. It's real. Quarterbacks feel it.
1: Yeah, so South Carolina managed just 99 yards in the first half of that game, 207 for the game. That's less than they got last year. Uh, it was their lowest uh, total this season, in fact. Um, they didn't even run a play in Clemson's territory into the fourth quarter, and that was after the Kelly Bryant interception. Then the defense turns around, limits them to negative one yards and a field goal. So absolutely dominating performance in, in the game for this defense. The starting D, in, in my opinion, gave up no points. We'll chalk up that three to the Kelly Bryant interception but yeah it all starts in that defensive line um Jake Bentley wasn't running at all he's actually a decent running quarterback but he did not run a lot in this game again you're right I, they were in their head and I think from the very beginning uh, you know Jake Bentley talking his smacks talk well we know Christian Wilkins and, and Cleveland Farrell are able to do that too you see the little chatter that goes on after they get a big hit um and Jake Bentley was just kind of seeing stars they might not talk pregame, but, man, they talk a lot during the game. But they back it up, too. So that's that's one thing. It's it's good to see. So let's – you know, Cody, you and I were talking about Dexter Lawrence before this game. You know, he's he's sat out two weeks now uh, trying to give that foot some time to heal. He says he's about 90% or so right now. How did he look in this game to you? He looked a step faster than he
2: has looked all year. So I agree. He's, he's a little bit – he is a little bit healthier. He's not 100% Dex, though, and – Dexter last year as a, as a freshman did some things that just made you just shake your head. He wasn't always – he didn't always know his assignment. Sometimes he was a little bad out of place or he'd let guys get leverage on him. That's just a byproduct of technique or an older guy just being able to get under him. But he's got an extra gear, and I'm really hoping um, he can get – if he's at 90 percent, is that what you said? Yeah, I believe that's what he mentioned. I hope he can get to 100 in the, in the three weeks, assuming we beat Miami. Because uh, that, that guy is you – know, between him and Christian Wilkins, that's a huge – Huge advantage in every play when they're in, in the game together.
1: Well, and I will point out he was double teamed quite often in this game. Um, and, you know, even if he's not able to get a push um, because he's being double teamed, that's one less offensive lineman that the other three stellar uh, defensive linemen on this team and blitzing linebackers have to worry about.
2: Exactly. I mean, that's a key part of our defense. That if Brent Venable sees double teams coming that way, he can throw out stunts. He can throw out, like you said, bullet blitzes from his lineback- from his linebackers. And that just means that it puts so much pressure on a, on an offensive line to be perfect. And you saw the one sack we had from Farrell Guy just missed misses assignment. It's it's a it's a physical strain that it puts on you when you when you play a guy like Dex at full health, but it's also a mental strain, and eventually you're going to cave in and uh, leave leave a wide open lane for
1: a in Farrell or Austin Bryant. So let's talk about the secondary for, for a moment. You know they seemed to play pretty well in coverage this game. Um, had Jake Bentley holding the ball for a long time back there. They weren't able to connect on really any deep balls that I recall. You mentioned Ryan Carter's pick six. Trayvon Mullen also had that great interception. He actually stumbled and recovered on that play. I just kind of want to talk about this secondary and you know where Clemson was looking at the last couple years, uh, not a lot of depth. The secondary was a bit of a weakness last year. Um, but the guys, the young guys that Clemson was able to bring in, how good does that uh, Mullen, Isaiah Simmons, and Kevon Wallace, uh, those pickups really late in the cycle a couple years ago look right now?
2: Yeah. They look absolutely fantastic. And not to mention AJ Terrell from, from last sure. year, not, not a late pickup, but yeah, you put those guys in and I still think they have so much more development. You know, we really don't have a lockdown corner in the same way that we had uh, Hank and, and Mac the year before Ryan Carter's playing pretty damn well. Well, yeah, he's not necessarily a lockdown corner. He's just a guy that just has such great instincts and right. probably puts a lot into, the game prep. Um, but I think Mullen has a chance to get there in terms of being a lockdown corner. I definitely think Terrell will get there. Um, those two guys next year, I mean, it, it's Carter. Carter's a junior, right? Or is he a redshirt senior?
1: Uh, I'm not sure. I have to look that one up. Well, but, but he came in with Gallman.
2: You're right. So that would make him, yeah, you're right. That would make him a redshirt senior. So he's going to be a big loss. Well, shouldn't say his leadership and the little intangibles of the things he gives will be a huge loss, but. Uh, between those two guys, not to mention, yeah, getting some athleticism in the at safety position with Isaiah Simmons and Kamal Wallace. it's Yeah, I, I still think they're a little bit off just in terms of they
1: can play a little bit faster like all those guys. But I think by next year, it, it's going to be a strength of the team. So, again, not much else to say about this defense. Just a dominating performance. Another one we've seen this all year long. Very unfortunate. I know we were all pulling for the shutout there. Um, unfortunately, we weren't able to get it. Uh, had a couple opportunities in the last two games with Citadel and uh, in South Carolina here, but still a dominating performance. We haven't seen a lot of regression from this defense. There was a little bit of some shaky play uh, around the Syracuse game and after Kelly Bryant's injury, but man, had they played well all season long, being the back own, backbone of this team, allowing the offense to kind of develop at its own pace. Right. It's, uh, I think they'd they have another gear to get to. It will help getting Trey Lamar back. Jamie
2: Skalski has, has looked really good. I'm, I'm very happy for what he could potentially bring us down the road. And, and Kendall Joseph moved a little bit to uh, middle linebacker. He's he's always going to be a, give you a plus grade no matter where he plays because he's just that damn good. But he's definitely going to be, I think, best at outside linebacker and letting a guy like Trey Lamar eat up some of those blocks. And he's going to be more of a run stuffer. So some of those, those runs that we gave up, could potentially be eliminated when Trey Lamar gets back in and
1: could help. And all these things combined, folks, is why we don't think Brent Venables is going to go to Mississippi, Mississippi State or Arkansas. <laughs> why would you?
2: He's got to like understand the importance of good players at this point. Good players on defense. Well, what's your ceiling at Mississippi State and Arkansas? I mean, you're recruiting like you just you're not going to get the blue-chippers. You're just not. And Venables is now like he knows how important Christian Wilkins and Dexter Lawrence is.
1: And your son's not going to want to go to Fayetteville or (laughs) Even even your son won't want to go there and use three stars. Which one? Starkville is Mississippi State, right? Yeah, I believe so. One of those two cities I know. Um, All right, so before we wrap up here, let's talk about the special teams. Will Spires has been amazing all all year long. You saw Clemson kind of suffer in the field position battle last year with Andy Teesdall punting at about a 36, 37-yard average clip. One thing, you know, Spires has been booming the ball all year long, but one thing he has really gotten good at is dropping the ball inside the 20. That's something he's developed. He's also been helped out by some amazing play uh, from the guys on the punt coverage team. Isaiah Simmons down to punt at the one on an incredible play tonight. Uh, That's gone a long way to improving uh, the field position uh, for Clemson this year as compared to last. And when a team has to go 99 yards against this Clemson defense – it's going to be a low percentage that they actually go down and score.
0: Yeah,
2: and I think a, the bigger part of that is just it—it it puts so much pressure when they're stuffed within their own ten, and they act different. And that's how we got that—that that pick six yep. initially. I mean, you just start making on. Un- well, for one, you go you go a little vanilla because you know the risk. Uh, so it just it's a greater likelihood of a three and out, also a greater likelihood of a, a forcing a turnover. So that you're right—that's a huge part of our game. And we talked a little bit about it a couple of weeks ago. Whenever we do get a chance to pin a team inside the ten. Versus even going for it on a fourth down. I, I, I want to play the field position game
1: with our defense. So yeah, that Isaiah Simmons, uh, down punt was kind of my, uh, my, uh, first place, uh, play there on the, uh, for the special teams. Um, honorable mention going to the, the great fakes by Hunter Rimfro and those punt returns, uh, faking out the South Carolina players. It took them a while to figure that out.
0: Those are beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Those
1: are absolutely beautiful. Um, Okay, so that wraps it up for the South Carolina game. Again, a big 34 10 victory for the Clemson Tigers. It was actually, it wasn't as close as the score would seem. You, you saw a lot of guys, uh, a lot of people come out after the game saying they actually thought that this was a more dominating performance than last year's 50 67 victory. Um, you know, it, it's hard to think that considering how dominant that was, but South Carolina was supposed to be a better team this year, and this game was on the road, and Clemson was out without a few guys, you know, Chad Smith, Trey Lamar, um, on the defensive side of the ball. So, Really good um, uh, to see this Clemson Tiger team go into another hostile environment, go into another ranked uh, opponent's house on the road and pull out a big victory. Cody, before we tie a bow here on the South Carolina game, uh, let's talk a little bit about the trajectory of this rivalry. Um, Again, uh, Todd Ellis saying that he thought Clemson coaches were absolutely frightened to death about South Carolina coming on. After this game... Where do you see? What, what's your opinion from that standpoint?
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it, what's what's interesting in the last two years? I think, uh, it, particularly last year, Muschampin his his presser uh, post game presser said, "Got to go, we got to hit the recruiting trail." He was completely demoralized. He said, "We, we got to recruit, we got to recruit." And what he meant was the talent discrepancy is far too large, and he was right. And you know, some of our high end talent like Deshaun Watson helped make that fifty six point look, you know, victory look good. But I think. Uh, a bigger point coming back to this year when, you know, he has gone out, he has secured a few recruits, some of which that we recruited as well. It's still the same story. And he didn't go as far, you know, into the recruiting. We got to recruit, but he did kept saying, you know, we're going to start recruiting tomorrow. Again, same thing, talent discrepancy. If things hold up like this, it's, it's going to take a lot. And this game was on the road. I think it's going to take a lot for South Carolina to get back to a competitive game with Clemson. I mean, so if you look at it over the course of like five years, what I what I expect is potentially one game, uh, one one year where they have a shot where they, they could maybe beat us at this rate. I'm thinking a 20% clip, which historically it's a lot better than you know the, the normal clip. You would think two out of the two out of the five would be would be kind of where we normally sit. I, I think at this at this rate, it's probably one of, one out of the five, and then
1: uh, two probably two blowouts and two games that are probably just. We're just that much better. And that very well could be another blowout next year. You know, they, they say with a lot of coaches, next year will be Will Muschamp's third year in the program. Uh, you, you see with a lot of head coaches, they kind of have a down year then because they, they finally don't have the, the, the senior players from their predecessors uh, recruiting classes. And they're still, their guys coming in uh, are still uh, a little green and not up uh, to, you know, up to the up to the task of playing against elite teams and playing well against them. So if they have a down their year next year, um, I think you can start to see um, South Carolina fans start to turn on him. And if they turn on him, uh, as we know they can, you're going to see a reflection of that in recruiting. Um, so we'll see. I think next year is a very pivotal year for South Carolina. I think a little bit of their success this year was fool's gold, given their soft schedule. They have another soft schedule again next year as Ole Miss is the SEC West team that they draw. So they have no Alabama, no Auburn on their schedule. Um, So, yeah, we'll see how that goes. But what I can say, looking at Clemson's current players, the recruiting class coming in this year and how that's shaping up and what it's looking at like for next year, I can confidently say I don't think Clemson has any business losing to South Carolina for the next three years.
2: Yeah, I mean it's hard to project, you know, on a year by year basis. But I'm just saying that this kind of the way things are going, it could very likely be a nine game winning streak for us. But I think what you said is is exact is spot on in terms of next year being a pivotal year. They're going to have some guys, well, most champs, actual guys that he recruited. They're going to get more, uh, get into the into the program. They're going to have their legs under them a little bit. And I think for South Carolina, they're not they don't have the same brand equity or brand name of of a Georgia. They're just not going to be able to recruit. You're going to have to sh- put it on the field first before you're going to you start luring some guys, some of these higher profile four stars, uh, into in, in the play there. You know, it's kind of like Georgia was able to get start getting these guys even before they were what they were this year, uh, and that's just Georgia. South Carolina they got to prove it first, and I, what I see from them in terms of recruiting historically, uh, you know, dating back the last ten years and, and going forward is still it's just to me it's just not enough blue chippers. Uh, Clemson's you know at every position they have. Generally a f four star too deep, in some cases they'll have a five star. And it's kind of the one star down for South Carolina. It's generally you might have a four star here and there. Um, but it's 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 a, it's the three star depth. And that, that matters in the long run. You have to put a huge burden on player development and and player and uh player assessing players' evaluations. So I, I just don't think it's in terms of their trajectory versus ours, I just don't think it's I don't think there's going to be a, a kind of a tipping point anytime soon where they're going to overtake Clemson.
1: Well, I think from an SEC East standpoint, you know, they finished second in the East this year. And it's not like Tennessee or Florida are looking to get any better next year as they're undergoing coaching changes. Um, so if you're a South Carolina fan, at least the continuity of your, if your coach is concerned, I think there's a positive upside. You're going to have to deal with Georgia. They're no longer an up and coming team, they're, they're a solid powerhouse at this point, I believe. They're, they're back to where uh, Georgia is used to being, but, uh, you know, I think it's a little bittersweet too. If you're a South Carolina fan, are you going to look back at this period of time and say, man, we really missed an opportunity there.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's a good point. It really couldn't have been a better two years in terms of things around them. Uh, SEC East. I mean, it's been an absolute dumpster fire in Tennessee. I don't think anyone would dispute that Florida. It's been almost the the, the equivalent and, They've had a chance to to capitalize on that, and I would say they did this year with the eight three record. Um, and it's going to get harder though. It, it, like Georgia is—they're not going anywhere. Uh, They're—I've like I've been talking about their recruiting. They're—they're going to be nestled in that top ten pretty much on a year-to-year basis, and maybe even the top five. Florida, I think, will get better. I mean, they're just—it's it's too talent-rich. Uh, they're going to—they're going to start getting guys in, and and Tennessee has nowhere to go but up because literally they are backs against the wall. So I think things are going to get a lot harder eight and three is going to be a lot. And maybe not next year, but probably in the next two to three years, it's going to be a little bit more normal in the sec East, I think.
1: Well, that about wraps it up uh, for our South Carolina discussion. You know, a lot remains to be seen here in the coming years of whether South Carolina can actually capitalize on uh, uh, some of the uh, downfalls of these other teams and, Also, whether or not they can keep their water bottles in the stands. Um, So with that, let's move on to uh, looking at the ACC championship game in the Miami Hurricanes. So the Miami Hurricanes, so close, so close to going into the ACC championship game undefeated. Um, They made it uh, throughout 10 games of their schedule this year going undefeated. They did have some close calls, and it all really caught up to them uh, against Pitt uh, this past Friday. They go down 24-14. to 14. This is the second year in a row that a Pitt-Panther team um, has taken down the number two-ranked uh, college football team in the country. A uh, Pitt team this year that was not as good as they were last year. But, you know, Miami, if you're a Miami fan, I think you have to see this as a huge wasted opportunity. And if I'm a Miami fan after seeing what they put on the field on Friday and seeing uh, how Clemson has been playing since their loss, I don't have a lot of confidence if, if I'm a Miami fan. Agreed. If you look through their schedule,
2: um, a lot of one possession games. A lot of one possession against games. Against
1: not a very good schedule. I mean, their streak the schedule yeah. is very poor. Against Florida State, uh, Georgia
2: Tech, one one point game, uh Syracuse, UNC, a really poor team. And uh and they finally started to break out a little bit when they played against Virginia Tech, and then everyone knows about the blowout against Notre Dame and that kind of was their their biggest victory, the one they would point to, um, they feel like they've made it. But to me, yeah, I mean, if you look at statistically, even if you look at the SP and p rankings, um, it's kind of what you see. It matches the eye test. They don't really do anything great. They're good at almost right. everything uh, in terms of rushing, passing, um, even situational plays like passing downs and things like that. They're they're good, but they're not great. And to me, the numbers will bear out over time, and, and that's just who you are. I think Clemson is a little bit better. They can definitely certainly lose to them, but I think the team that you saw – squeaking out games, it is a little bit of a fool's gold. Um, And it's not the team that you saw against Notre Dame necessarily.
1: Right. And I'm I'm honestly less concerned about uh, how many turnovers they're able to create on on, uh, defense because Clemson has been a very good team this year at avoiding uh, turning over the ball. But you're right. And I think Pitt gave this Clemson team a very good roadmap on how to beat Miami. They made Miami very one-dimensional in this game. They really sold out. Um, to stop Miami's running game, holding them to just 45 yards rushing. And they were daring uh, Malik Razier to throw, and he did not have a good game at all. He didn't play well. It was a very cold and windy day in Pittsburgh. Um, Just like Clemson, it was a Friday game. Um, But he actually got benched at one point in this game, late in the game, while Miami was still in it. So, again... A good road map for Clemson. It's going to be another cold night in Charlotte on Saturday night. This is a kid playing in Miami. He's not used to playing a lot of cold games. I don't think it's any coincidence that he struggled um, in Pitt.
2: Yeah, it's and it's it's a stage that they're not used to. I think that bodes well for us. Um, yeah, if you want to talk about their their quarter, or Rosier and, um, and just their, their offense all together, they do have a, a good dynamic running back, running game. And, I mean, that could definitely... Uh, pose a threat, but it, it, that's why we kind of looked at Dexter Lawrence and his health. If they can, they can devote less bodies to stopping the run right. that, that, and not have to go necessarily man coverage on the outside. That looks good for
1: us, uh, right? And then much like the Clemson defense was able to do against Jake Bentley in South Carolina, again, a young quarterback, get in his head, get some pressure on him early, and, and force him to beat uh, beat you downfield. Um, and by getting pressure on him, you affect his accuracy, and you can force him into making some mistakes. Um I think it does start with the run game if they are 65th um, in yards per game this year in, uh, in the FBS. But they do run it at a five-point yard a carry clip. Uh, that's the same as Clemson, so it's, they're just less dependent on the run game than Clemson is. They are capable they have shown the capabilities of doing this. But if I'm a Clemson team, I do the same thing as Pitt, and I sell out to stop the run and just make Malik Rozier. Beat you downfield.
2: Yeah, we've. I think we've done that more bend and don't break. Uh, maybe a little bit this year, and that could be. You know, actually, I really don't know why we do that. Maybe it's less confidence in in some of the secondary members, or, or it's just. I think that changes now that we're
1: healthy again in the secondary.
2: Yeah, it could, it could be. It could be health. It could be health, uh, an issue of health, but it also could just be very strategic and like coming. Kind, of, kind of the numbers I've talked about uh, eliminating big plays or reducing big plays, making a team sustain eighty-yard drives. They will make mistakes eventually, and I think that's, like you said, that's probably the best game plan for Miami.
1: So, do you see, do you see Venable stacking the box and making uh, them beat us, passing the ball, or do you, like you mentioned, do you see them dropping more in coverage and making them beat us up the middle in the running game?
2: Yeah, I, 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 no, I think they'll stack. They'll stack the box as much as they can. I mean, I don't think you don't have to always commit an extra guy when you have big decks and Christian Wilkins. But well,
1: and again, I think you're going to continue to see double teams on big decks, and again, that 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 takes away one other offensive lineman from blocking another year D lineman or a blitzing linebacker.
2: Right. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, Venables is always going to throw some pressure I mean, he'll find what, whatever he can find on film where it makes uh, the quarterback is his most volatile version of himself. But I, I think, yeah, it, I mean, he may limit that a little bit. And I think what you also have seen from the secondary is just kind of the, the previous defense plan, playing back off the guy at the line of scrimmage, not jamming him. And, that limit that, that cuts down on the big play a lot. I think that's that's always been a, or that's been a goal this season, and that's fine. And I'm happy. I think that's what we go with against Miami. I mean, that's probably the best best route.
1: And he did throw five interceptable passes in that pit game, um, and he's going to be down his second leading receiver and tight end, Christopher Herndon, who is now out for the season. So I think a very similar game to South Carolina. Um, I think the defense dominates, gets a lot of pressure on him, and you're going to see some shaky play, in my opinion. Um, from Rozier. Um, so let's flip it over and talk about what the Canes do on defense and how Clemson can counter that on offense. They're number one nationally in sacks. They're number two in tackles for loss, 15th in scoring D. Those are pretty good numbers. Not that they played the best offensive, uh, offensively ranked teams in the country, not a lot of high powered offenses, uh, but those are good numbers. Nonetheless, we know what they can do uh, with the, in the turnover game there with the turnover chain and uh, all the fanfare around that. Um, so if you're a, Clemson, if you're Skelleyit and you're looking to game plan against this defense, uh, what do you go to? Well,
2: it's been what we've done all year, and it's they do have a good defense in terms of pass rush, creating pressure, tackles for loss. I think we say they're number two tackles for loss, number one in sacks. Uh, they're either one or two in in some some combination uh, for those two metrics, and they do a good job of getting pressure. A lot of the turnovers come from that pressure they get up front. So I, I think it's it's pretty. I think with Kelly Bryant, it gives them another guy in the run game., uh, you get a numbers advantage. I think we're gonna play play our strength there, and we're gonna run. <laughs> we're gonna do a lot of a lot more zone reads.
1: Well, part of their blitz scheme, uh, they you oftentimes if you're setting tape, you find that they're putting too many guys in one gap, which really could allow KB to slip through a hole and start you know get some space to run free. So I do see Kelly Bryant being more active uh, running the ball in this game than he did in the South Carolina game. Uh, one thing that, that we do need to worry about a little bit, a lot of their interceptions are largely a byproduct of a defensive scheme that has their guys roaming around in their coverages. Uh, Kelly Bryant has been very good this year on balls across the middle, but he needs to be careful here not losing guys. Um, but then also those high throws could come back to bite him.
2: Yeah, got to keep him down. I, I think another part, though, too, I, I fully expect to see more. No one wants to hear the screen passes. Throws that he can make, throws that are high percentage sure. slants to Hunter Renfro, getting
1: Ray Ray on the outside. Yeah,
2: it, it, need. I mean, those those are the kind of things that that kind of take the spirit and the fire away from a a very hungry and determined, fired up defensive line, and they make they make them work, get them gassed. They okay. do. They do actually have a deep defensive line, but I think that's what you do initially to to kind of
1: right. They're nine sustain deep. Drives. You know, they consider themselves nine deep on that defensive line. Um, one thing that they haven't succeeded at this year, they have been tackling poor all season. This is something to, to look at because this could lead to some big plays by ETN Feaster, McLeod, and even Kelly Bryant.
2: Yeah, I think it, a bit, something that we haven't seen, we, we're, everyone's wondering if we're only showing 80%. I think there's a, an inkling even, but some, I've heard some national guys saying, I feel like Clemson's only showing about 70 or 80% of the offensive playbook. So when you talk about Etienne, McLeod, and some of those other guys, Getting guys on the outside, getting, getting the playmakers in space. If they, do, if they don't they do tackle very well, I wonder – we saw a little bit of the Jets sweeping in South Carolina. I wonder if we don't see more pitches. Um, I don't want to say more bubble screams, but things that at least play off, playing off of that, try to get guys. Well, even more usage of a guy like Amari Rodgers. Yeah, I mean, I- any of those guys.
1: And then finally, on special teams, uh, the big advantage that Miami has here is they have first-team first All-ACC uh, first all kicker Michael Badgley. Um, I think all Clemson fans know that if it comes down to a, a, a game where it's decided by a field goal, that we do not feel very confident in, in Clemson um, having an advantage in that situation. You saw in the South Carolina game that Dabo attempted no field goals, uh, went even on some fourth and longs from a, right around the 30 a few times. Um Clemson has no confidence in their kicking game at this point, and I don't think you're going to see a lot of field goal attempts for the rest of the year. Uh, One weakness that Miami does have in special teams, their punter has been struggling. He had like a 13-yard punt in the pit game. So, again, field position, a big part of the equation uh, for a Clemson offense that hasn't been hitting uh, a ton of big plays this year and having to put together more sustained drives. The less field we have to eat up, the less of a problem that is. Yeah,
2: and I think – you talk about special teams, that goes a little bit to the, the finer points of football, and this becomes very generic again. But this time of year, I, I think that South Carolina game is such a good tune-up game because, yeah, they're not of Miami qual- uh, caliber, and they're certainly not a playoff t- caliber team. But they're a good team, and it, you do have to get a certain level of intensity up. And it, it seems like guys start ho- focusing in on some of the smaller, finer, the, the details um, they go into it treating it like a championship. Now they get to replicate that same routine and pattern going into the Miami game. And I think you see a little bit on the field, like when you see special teams big plays, when you see guys making blocks. Um, I, I want to see the the finer points, the finer details. I think Alabama traditionally does such a good job of, of executing on things like this. A lot of times it's just it's a, it's a block by a wide receiver. Maybe it's a special teams play, but that's what I want to see from Clemson in this game.
1: Well. I will say this heading into this game. Clemson benefited greatly uh, from their bye week and then also having the sk- Citadel scheduled when they did. This team seems healthy and refreshed at least as at least as much as they can be at this point in the season. One more game to go. Uh, conference championship game, the ACC championship game in Charlotte on Saturday night. Uh, it's Clemson's third year in a row being in this game. They could go back to the college football playoff for a third year in a row. And I think leading into this season, we thought there was a slight chance of that, but none of us predicted it. Um, I think at this point, this season has been such a great success. Yeah, it, it shows that Clemson
2: has elevated to a new new level. Um, there's new heights, and uh, it, and there's a bit of a, a, a there's DNA built in into the the, the fiber of the program. There's uh, there's there's something there. I think it's 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 the players now having played in a championship too. Now um, a lot of them. So they they know what it takes once you get to this point in the year and uh, you guys like Christian Wilkins, Cleveland Farrell, uh, Mitch Hyatt. I I don't expect to see. I expect to see the best football ahead of them. Will it be enough? I don't know. I don't know what the
1: the ceiling is of this team, but I think at least they're in good position. Well, I think the ceiling is clearly above what Miami has to offer, but we'll find that out Saturday night. Okay, let's move on from Miami in the ACC championship game and let's uh, talk about the weekend that was in college football. But, Cody, we mentioned at the beginning of the show uh, a lot of blowouts this weekend, or some blowouts this weekend, some notable blowouts, uh, but then also some upsets um, that made for a really exciting weekend in college football. Let's start with that Auburn-Alabama game. You know, I, I think a lot of people predicted that this could happen. I, don't, I wouldn't necessarily call this an upset because I think Auburn's a very good football team. They had just beaten number one Georgia um, in blowout fashion the week before, but this was a pretty dominating performance, it seemed like, by the Auburn football team.
2: Yeah, they're they're definitely forced to be reckoned with. It's not the same team we played back in August or September. they the Sidam is is getting comfortable. And he's still not a world beater. They still have some some flaws with their offense and and Carryon Johnson, their star running back, who we were lucky enough to not have to play against. He looks like he's injured, uh maybe a dislocated shoulder. So that could be good, but this this Auburn team is it's very good. They were good on defense when we played them. That that was nothing new. Um and, and that's a that's a good defense by uh Kevin stills the defensive coordinator but their offense is coming together uh, a little bit a little bit of that the outcome had to do with Alabama I think they're a lesser version of themselves this year particularly on offense
1: well I should say on, on defense as well with their with their right. injuries well even they were limited on offense last year um, they're it's just not a very creative offense uh, Jalen hurts for as athletic and talented as he, as he is um, He doesn't look like a guy to me that can lead them to a national championship. Maybe.
2: Yeah. Well. He's he's got the the kind of clutch ability in terms of his skill set, though. I think that there's limitations there in his ability to to be a downfield
1: passer. And he's just a sophomore.
2: Yeah. I mean, I I just don't. It'll be tough for him to develop that. Some 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 guys have it. Some guys don't. But I think what we've seen from just kind of the. The differences between Deshaun Watson and, and Kelly Bryant. Do not, to be able to make any team one dimensional in college football and to know that that's what our defense strives to do every week, we see the importance of having balance. And that's the key. And uh, yeah, to me, they just don't quite have it with his inability to, to, to constantly, continually be a threat in the passing game. Sure, a running game threat, yeah.
1: Well, speaking of one dimensional teams, number four, Oklahoma uh, dismantles West Virginia without their starting quarterback. Um, It was quite laughable to me. Baker Mayfield, after his crotch grabbing against Kansas on the sidelines there, he only sits out two plays as punishment. Um, Wasn't named captain for the game, although Lincoln Riley let his teammates carry his jersey out there to midfield. Um, So, you know, that aside, whatever, Oklahoma, they continue to put up points, but they also continue to give up points. I think between, in in my opinion, at this point between Auburn and Oklahoma, I'd be more afraid of, more concerned against playing Auburn than Oklahoma.
2: Yeah, it's it's a tough call. I I mean I think both are very good teams. Joel Klatt, everyone's talking about him in Clemson circles. He, he is hellbent bent on on uh, on Oklahoma. He's like no one no one has a good enough offense in the nation to hang with them. He said maybe Auburn, but no one no one else does. And I I mean to some degree he's right. It's just what to what degree will an elite defense be able to stymie their offense? And how bad is their defense in terms of can Clemson continually sustain drives and put up points against them? Frankly, I wouldn't want to play either team in in the first matchup. So you'd rather play Wisconsin? I think we all would, right?
1: <laughs> well, Wisconsin beat Minnesota thirty-one to nothing. They they continue to play a, a solid football, a little bit better even as the years uh, has gone along. They beat an Iowa team uh, a couple weeks ago that blew out an Ohio State team. Uh, Wisconsin right now is looking pretty solid. They're set up for a matchup in the Big Ten championship game against Ohio State. That's a very interesting matchup for me. Uh, you know, Ohio State has been made to look silly a couple times this year, and then sometimes they play really good football. I think uh, nobody would question uh, who the most talented team is. I think that's clearly uh, Ohio State, but w- Wisconsin—just kind of what you expect a Wisconsin football team to do—they just play solid, fundamental football all the way around. And a hell of a
2: defense, Very SP number
1: back. one. Yeah, good running back. I think he's a true freshman. I believe. Yeah.
2: So, but th- their defense—and that's one thing—you know, we talk about like. High state, how they can blow out these lesser teams. It's because it's so darn hard to to, to control. And I don't even know how, JT Barrett's health status right now in terms of that uh, how he's
1: going to be this weekend. But taken out by a cameraman.
2: Yeah. So if, whether or not he plays, but it's really hard for lesser teams that can't get penetration. They can't. They don't have defensive tackles that are athletic enough to shoot their gaps. It's really tough to defend what they do. They do a lot of option concepts. They have really good running backs. Uh Barrett's just good enough in the passing game, to keep you honest. Teams like Illinois, Rutgers, uh, Northwestern just can't hang with it. But teams like Wisconsin, that is the number one defense, might not be as good as ours in terms of upside, but you know, statistically, play by play, they, they are the best defense in the nation. I think they have a chance to make this a, a, a really good game, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if they win.
1: Oh, I absolutely agree. I mean, I will say this, the Big Ten West is a lot like the uh, SEC East is or as um, strength of of conference or strength of division goes. Um, But again, they've done what they had to do. Um, They didn't pull a Miami and lose to an inferior team uh, in Minnesota this weekend. They took care of business, so it'll be interesting to to see more of them play. I haven't paid a lot of attention uh, to them this year, but I'm definitely going to watch that Big Ten championship game coming up this weekend because um, if you're looking at Clemson as a possible number one seed, Wisconsin could very well be sitting there at the number four seed leading up to a first-round matchup uh, with them in, I believe, the Sugar Bowl, correct? Yeah, it could be one or the other, it looks like, at this point. And, yeah, I
2: mean, so if that, if that game is oh, it's not necessarily a play-in, it's a play-in for Wisconsin, I feel like the same can be said of Clemson and Miami. Who else do you
1: have? Uh, let's talk about that. So let's first start with yeah. who's your top five right now, just based off of what happened this weekend? Top five, uh, let's, let's, and we have to clarify on this. Top five best teams, who will be ranked in the top five by the playoff? No, I, I want to know who you believe the the top five in order, what the top five best teams are. God. Um, I'm going to go Oklahoma, one,
2: 1B, Clemson, we'll call them two, Auburn three, Wisconsin
1: four, and then, Whew. Between Alabama, Georgia, Miami, and Ohio State, who's in that fifth spot? I'll go Alabama, okay. yeah. I agree with you mostly. Um, I've got three through five the same, Auburn, Wisconsin, Alabama. I've got Clemson to me. To me, based on last week's rankings and where Clemson um, sits ahead of Oklahoma, um, that I don't see how you can move Oklahoma above Clemson at this point um, based off of this past week's games. Uh, Merely because Clemson beat the South Carolina team on the road in blowout fashion Oklahoma beat a West Virginia team at home without their starting quarterback. So I just don't see how you bump Oklahoma ahead of Clemson.
2: Yeah, the playoff committee won't do that. But if, if, it's, my, if it's my playoffs, if it's Cody's playoffs, that's what I would say. Based on what?
1: You, you look at Clemson's body of
2: wins. Not based on body not, of wins. Not using, not using last week or the previous weeks as a baseline, but just, you're just looking at their, their, their different schedules and resumes. Yeah, their resume. I take I put credit in in their three and I said it's one A one B it's neck and neck but I put a I give a lot of credit to beating Oklahoma State Ohio State which was out of conference it's not just a Big Ten you know incestuous you know beat beat up on your Big Twelve Big Twelve not Big Ten Big Twelve counterparts um, and then you you also have TCU and then with the chance of course to beat TCU again TCU is a good team and they, and they do have a good defense maybe not an elite defense but a good one so. I give them credit for that. You know, obviously, they've, they've taken care of their Big 12, the rest of their Big 12 schedule. Not a lot of great teams on there. Um, Clemson gets – it's kind of the, the argument of high upside, high upside wins um, for Oklahoma versus the, like, more – just more quality wins for Clemson. Not to mention Auburn is a, is a high upside win. for
1: Clemson. Well, absolutely. Auburn just beat uh, a number one team two weeks in a row. So I think you have to give a lot of credit to Clemson. I, don't, I mean, it does matter a little bit where in the season – uh, that that game was played. But at the it same does, time, yeah. Clemson has developed a lot, especially in offense, and, and some, some more uh, um, trustable depth, I guess, on certain um, parts of the defense. So uh, there's been development in both cases. So I think the Clemson-Auburn matchup at some point is very intriguing and also very, very possible. Um, so who do you think? Um, you know who we're going to predict probably in the ACC championship game. We'll do that later in this week. Who do you have in the SEC championship game?
2: it's tough to pick Auburn to win in a rematch and to, and to pull this out three games in a row. Um, we'll say if on Johnson is healthy and plays, I, I pick Auburn. And I, I think it will be a close one. But if he doesn't play, if he's hurt or if, he, if he's limited, I think Georgia is going to take it. Um, Just because I think it's so hard for them, by the way. I think mentally and
1: physically, I think it's going to be so hard to win these three uh, in a row. I find it hard to not pick against Auburn. They're playing so well right now. However, Georgia did bounce back. Um, they, they dominated Georgia Tech this weekend, 38-7, to You know, a, a much better win over them, and that was in Atlanta, a uh, much uh, larger margin of victory than Clemson had against Georgia Tech. So I think it'll definitely be a closer game than it was the first time around, but I still have Auburn taking this one. Um, Ohio State versus Wisconsin, you already mentioned it. You said you wouldn't be surprised to see Wisconsin win. I agree. Ohio State, to me, has just been too erratic this year, um, whereas Wisconsin has been pretty steady. Um, I have Wisconsin winning that game. Oklahoma, TCU, although I think between Oklahoma State and TCU, TCU does give Oklahoma uh, the, the better matchup just because, I mean, the, the, they're the harder opponent um, just because of the brand of football that TCU plays. They're a more defensive-oriented football team. Oklahoma's not necessarily used to playing a defensive game. However, Oklahoma did beat them uh, fairly decently earlier this year. I have Oklahoma in this game. Which way do you see it going? Also, yeah, same Oklahoma.
2: It just they're not going to be able to put up points with the Sooners. TCU will not be able to put up points. Their offense isn't up to up to par, and their defense is good again, but it's not great. Pack twelve game. Do we care? I, I don't think so. I think Washington is making like kind of a, a case for itself, but I, I mean, I just don't think it's going to be enough. I think it's too little, too late.
1: Well, it's Stanford versus USC in the championship game, so I don't think Washington matters. Good point. Wait a minute, So <laughs> USC has two losses, huh? <laughs> That shows you how much we pay attention. And we're here in
2: California, and we don't know.
1: I think we've all ridden the Pac-12 off. Um, USC is their most highly ranked team. I think they're at 12 or something at this point. So. I think Washington is their best team, though. Well, would you agree? I mean, you know, it might not matter at this point. But their, I, they may be their best team, but they're also not going to be in the playoff. Um, so let me ask you this, Cody. In what scenario do you see a two-loss Clemson team uh, getting in, meaning that Clemson would lose in the ACC championship game this week in Miami? It would, it would take – oh, wow.
2: Jordan, oh, man. I have no idea. I don't, I don't think there's a possibility, is there? I mean
1: – Let's say Oklahoma and Wisconsin lose. Oklahoma and Wisconsin lose. Which I think Wisconsin more likely than Oklahoma, but I can see some things going wrong for Oklahoma if TCU is able to make some adjustments uh, based on what they saw on tape from their game earlier this year. But that's a very real possibility because that leaves you with Auburn having won. They're definitely in. I'd say Miami is definitely in. And then if you're looking at the rest of the field, um, between Georgia, who will have lost in the SEC championship game, that's their second loss, and they're ranked far behind Clemson at this point. I think you got to put Alabama in there even though they're not playing. They have one loss. They're ranked at five right now. That's your four, right? And that leaves you with Ohio State. And even if Ohio State, and we have them beating Wisconsin, their two losses are so bad this year, and their their resume is not as good as Clemson's. Um, I think Clemson. That that is the scenario where Clemson's in with a, a loss this weekend. So, wait.
2: So, that in that scenario, you're saying Ohio State beats Wisconsin. Right. They, there's no way. There's no way. They would have a conference championship, and by virtue of that, they would get in over Clemson. With two loss, no championship.
1: Clemson's sitting at one right now. Ohio State's all the way back at eight.
2: I think that matters. I don't think like, the difference between one and even eight right now is all that
1: significant. If you want the four best could, teams in the playoff, you think Ohio State is better than Clemson. Even with the Clemson
2: loss. If Clemson week. can't beat Miami, then I think there's a good chance that Ohio State might be just a, a smudge better than Clemson. But if, I mean, if Clemson handle business, I mean, so for me, I don't, I don't like, at this point, you shouldn't have lost to Syracuse. Had you well, not, we probably could
1: lose. We'd probably had already punched our well, ticket. Well, I'll make the argument for you. They left Penn State out last year with two losses and a win in the Big Ten, Big Ten championship game. Are you making the case against Clemson? Making the case against Ohio State.
2: But in this case, they'd have they would have a championship in this scenario. That, so that's what I'm
1: saying is Penn State won the Big Ten last year with two losses and got left out. Ohio State could win the Big Ten this oh, year. with yeah, yeah, Okay, gotcha. Two losses and get left so out. So in
2: mm-hmm. that well, in that scenario, Ohio State had one loss and in a good, in a solid resume had I think two top three two top I'm sorry three top ten victories. Ohio State or I'm sorry Oklahoma at the beginning of the year. Um, Michigan and one other that I can't recall. So they had a good resume with one loss. In this case, we would have two losses. One of those losses is not very good guess Syracuse.
1: Well, and we'll see how much they, they, they would take in that uh, scenario, um, the Kelly Bryant being injured, which has been their excuse for having Clemson up a little bit higher than a lot of I, other people do all year what long. What I think
2: is more interesting and more realistic or like – more interesting because I, if we lose, I don't really even care. If we can't beat Miami, I really don't want to go play. I don't know Auburn
1: or Georgia. I mean, would you agree? Uh, it depends on what shakes out. I mean, there's there so many what ifs we could put out there about what if Clemson but has some injuries.
2: Assuming that things kind of go chalk a little bit, what what will be interesting is how they put the Southern teams. If they can somehow justify, let's say, putting Clemson one and Auburn four, if if that's how it goes. That way you get the southern teams and kind of the uh, get them out of the way. You don't have two. You don't have a national championship with two southern teams. I don't think they want that. I know. I don't, it would make sense. though. I don't know how. Uh, I, know Wisconsin, Auburn, I know
1: Auburn would have two losses, um, but one of those losses would be to the number one team in the country, assuming that Clemson wins. Uh, one to an LSU team who's ranked, I think, like number eighteen in the country right now. Um. so that's not a terrible loss. But then they will have beaten Georgia, Alabama, Georgia three weeks in a row. I, you know, I just wonder if the committee
2: doesn't put Wisconsin over Auburn this week just so they can have that kind of card in their back pocket so in the following week, assuming things go chalk, so they can they, justify leaving right. Wisconsin ahead of Auburn and leaving Auburn as the number four team in the nation. Well, or so- or, or sliding Georgia into the number four if they were to win.
1: Well, assuming Clemson ends up uh, ranked number one after the rankings come out tomorrow night, we'll be sitting as good as we possibly can be. Um, And again, I think we're all pretty confident uh, with the way this team's playing um, and how Miami has played some close uh, close games against weaker opponents this year. I think Clemson fans and the team should be pretty confident um, heading into this weekend. Uh, so that's all we got for today on uh, on the football front again a very it's awesome you know when you have a rivalry game especially against South Carolina especially after we endured that five uh year losing streak uh, a few years ago it, it's just great to see us go out there and annihilate the gamecock football team. I know that all that warms all of our hearts um we'll be back next week uh to recap the ACC championship game against Miami and then moving forward we're gonna after that game we'll get into Kind of a, a, a slow period right after that, before uh, the bowl practice starts. We'll have our guy Sam back on to talk a little Clemson basketball. Nothing really as much happened between uh, this week and the last time Sam was on. Uh, Clemson gets a win over Texas Southern, 84-77. to Elisha Thomas has a good game. Uh, the only interesting thing there, um, Sam mentions, you look at Texas Southern, they're an 0-6 team. Sam actually thinks that's a pretty good win, and is not worried about that being such a close game, because... Texas Southern, their first thirteen games were on the road this year, and so far they played at Gonzaga, at Washington State, at Ohio State, at Syracuse, at KU, and at Clemson. That's a heck of a gauntlet. He thinks they win the conference. I don't know why they're playing thirteen games on the road this year. It's not because they're from Houston and their court was flooded. It's some crazy idea by their coach. I'm gonna. I
2: haven't seen. I didn't see that game, and I haven't seen Texas Southern. But I'm gonna go meh. M e h meh
1: on the on that victory. Fair enough. That's all we got for you tonight, folks. Again, thanks as always for listening. Uh, we appreciate um, all the love and all the feedback across the various social media sites. Um, we'll be back with you next week to hopefully recap a Clemson victory in the ACC Championship game. And as always, go Tigers.
2: And I'm so
0: I'm so happy for our family. It's not, it's not this is not for just us. This is for the Taj Boyds, the Stefan Anthony's, the Grady Jair's, the new Hopkins, Sammy Watkins. Y'all built this! Y'all started this foundation! And all we did is build upon it. And we finished it. It's been 35 long years. Clemson, y'all been waiting 35 years. It's finally coming home, baby! It's coming home! What the- Woo! What's up you motherfuckers? What is going down? It's heat, baby. We back. Uh, I ain't made no video last week because I ain't talking shit about no Wofford. We beat him. We took care of the business. Sky Moore tied to um, career interception. Mark out there. He going to break it this week. Nah, that's what we're talking about this game right here. Oh, yeah. 56-7. National champion. Boo, boop 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 boop. Boy, we finna put a stop to that shit tomorrow. Tomorrow. Maybe about three more hours. 27 more hours. We're putting an end to that. That's finished, for me told, for my Spanish-speaking people out there. Boy, we finna kill y'all up got goddamn Willie B. Boy, we finna damn do it, boy. Kelly Bryant. Woo, <laughs> woo, woo. Boy, DJ Wanda, i gonna suplex that summit by 37 times. Boy, you can book that. I don't know what you're gonna do. Jay just, oh, Jay didn't do nothing last year. We put him out the game. They took him out the damn game. They took him out the game. What what is What, what was he gonna accomplish at that point, man? Yeah, you done shut him down, you done got in his head, he done, his noodle was fried, they put him on the sideline, that's what they should have damn did. But Jake the Snake about to strike, baby. Jake, I don't know if snakes like taters, but he went. that Cobra going to be eating the shit out of some taters. Like, boy, I'm ready. Woo! The ramp going to be rocking, Willie B going to be rocking, the DJ going to be over that. M- Scratching records, boss with a god, boy. We finna, we finna turn it. They gonna be tailed down on top of damn will it be I can see it now, boy. I used to think that I something, something. We're gonna score it, in y'all. I believe I can fly. I'm about to land on bluff road. Right on your damn face. We about to kill y'all down there, boy. I'm tired of your damn mouth. I'm tired of your damn mouth. I can't even post a damn status about um going to the store buying damn. Lemons and shit, they some tato on (laughs) it. Every time I pump gas at the gas station, you heat? Yeah I'm heat. Hey, five, six, seven. you retarded mother, we about to beat this shit out y'all, man. I ain't listen, that's that's plain and simple. That's plain and simple.